Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for your word. Your word is our life, it's our food, it's our daily bread. And Lord, we ask that you would feed us again today. You know what you want to say to each one of us. And Lord, we sit here with our hearts and minds open to receive from you. Lord, speak through your Holy Spirit. You promised that you will. And so we ask that you would speak loud and clear to each one of us. Because we, your children, are wanting to learn and listen and be challenged and grow in you. So we thank you and we praise you with expectant hearts in the name of Christ. Amen. We've been looking at Philippians together and we're going to keep on looking in this amazing book where Paul describes how we might have joy. You know, attitude is everything. Been looking at the World Cup. You seen the World Cup? There's teams with attitude. There's teams that are already in the transfer market like England. You know, teams that don't have the best players in the world but they just work and work and work and work till they fall over and then they carry on and get up and keep going. And there's other teams in the World Cup that are striding around as though it's some kind of cricket match and they're expecting a tea break with sandwiches at any moment. And it's been wonderful to see the, the lesser teams, so to speak, who have worked so hard, do so well in the World Cup. That's attitude. I was, had the privilege this week of being with Maisie Piraway that we just prayed for. She's just turned a hundred on Tuesday. And on Wednesday, on Tuesday she had a big party, but the week before she had a fall in her own home. And so she was taken into a, uh, a nursing home, into Rowan Wilt. And I went to see her on the Wednesday and took communion to her. Because she had all her family on the Tuesday. She still doesn't need spectacles. She's got better eyesight than I have. And she's just really with it, you know, and praising the Lord. And she said to me, she said, you know what David? She said, I think it was really good I had that fall at home. And I said, why? Because she said, I had an amazing birthday party, but if I'd have been at home, I wouldn't have been able to fit everybody in. But the Lord brought me into this place, and we could use the dining room of this place to have the party. So it was absolutely fantastic. They came and did everything for me. We had an amazing party with my family, and now I'm up and I'm, I'm back on with my Zimmer frame, and I'm getting my strength back, and before long I'm going to be home. Isn't God amazing? Now that is the kind of attitude I want to have when I'm a hundred. You know? Not saying, oh no, I had a fall, oh what a disaster. But you know what? And she said to me, she said, until the Lord takes me home, I'm just going to keep on trekking. You know? hundred years old, she got the birthday card with the Queen. Picture and everything. Fantastic. But her attitude is inspiring. Absolutely inspiring. I heard about a guy called Norman Cousins. He was hospitalised with a rare crippling disease, diagnosed as incurable. And when he heard that it was incurable, you know what he did? He checked out of hospital. He says, you know what? I don't want to be in a place where there's so much negative emotion. So he checked out. 
And he went home and what he did was he borrowed a projector and he started watching Marx Brothers movies. Do you know what the Marx Brothers movies are? They're like old black and white comedy movies. And he started watching these movies. And even though he's in pain, he said, you know what? I started laughing. And when I started laughing, the pain disappeared. He said, I found that I could get two hours of pain-free sleep after ten minutes of laughter. And then he'd wake up after two hours and he'd stick the film back on, start laughing again, and then go back to sleep again. And you know what happened to this guy, Norman? After a while, after he started watching all the Marx Brothers and then he moved on to Candid Camera, reruns, what happened was that his disease within him turned a corner. And he actually started getting better, even though the doctors said it was incurable. He ended up, even though he had heart disease and all these other things, living another ten years longer than the doctors said it was possible for you to live. And he wrote all about it and he sent it off to the uh, New England Journal of Medicine. He received more than 3,000 letters from doctors throughout the world thanking him for his message. Because attitude matters. Our attitude makes a massive difference. And Paul talks about in the book of Philippians how we might have a godly, a joyful attitude in our lives. Now last week, we'll pick it up where we left off last week in chapter 3 of the book of Philippians. Got your Bibles, turn, turn to Philippians 3. Last week, as we remember, he was telling us that we need to be dissatisfied. Now there's two things that happen when you get dissatisfied with something, isn't there? One thing is that you start grumbling. Oh, you know, and we just start moaning and groaning, don't we? You all know what it's like, you're sitting in the car, M25, every other lane is moving and yours is stationary. So you shift lanes and yours stops and they all start moving around you. And you just keep on, wherever you happen to be, and, and what, do you do what I do, which is you pick a truck or, or a big vehicle to judge how far you are and whether you're moving faster than them or they are faster than you. Do you do that? Or am I the only sad person in this whole church? Yeah, you just do it, you don't admit to it. I know. And then, you know. And then, and the funniest thing about motorways, isn't it? is that you, you finally get further and you're kind of winning, right? And then you get like 20 minutes down the road and you go, I fancy a coffee, so you pull off and wait for 20 minutes and the truck goes shooting by you anyway, so it's like... But you had to get in front of it, you know? And sometimes we grumble and we moan and we go like, you know what, it's not fair. And we grumble and we're dissatisfied. But there's another kind of dissatisfied that's positive. And that is when we get dissatisfied with something and it gives us the energy and the, and the kind of the push to go and do something about it. You think about all the, all the advances in the world have come by people that have been dissatisfied but have not just stayed there, they said, you know what, we can do this better. I'm not satisfied with what we're doing right now, we can do it better. Think about Nelson Mandela in South Africa. Guy that was dissatisfied with apartheid. There was a whole country that was dissatisfied with apartheid. But most of them did nothing about it. But some of them said, you know what, this needs to change. I'm so dissatisfied, I'm going to do something to make a difference. Gandhi did the same. 
didn't he? I'm dissatisfied. It needs to change. And science and and all these things that moves forward is because people are dissatisfied and it pushes them to make a difference. And that's the kind of dissatisfaction that Paul says we are to have in our spiritual lives. Don't become complacent. The church is full of people who are quite comfortable where they are. They sit there and they go, you know, well, and they start comparing themselves. Well, I'm better than him. I might not be as good as she is, but I'm definitely better than him. I'm doing alright, thank you very much. And they become satisfied. And what happens when you become satisfied? You start to stagnate. And it goes down and down and down and down. You know, God wants people that are moving forward, that are saying, you know what, I'm not satisfied in my relationship with Jesus Christ. I've only been here 49 years and however, 360 days or however many it is, 50 days, 40 days, whatever. But I'm not satisfied. And I won't be satisfied like Maisie when I get to a hundred. Because there is always more and I want more of God. And I want to give myself more to God. And so, first of all, Paul says, have that kind of dissatisfaction. He said, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. Remember last week we said that? Verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Paul is saying, I want more. This is Paul, the guy that transformed the world. I still want more, he says. I'm not satisfied. And that's the first thing he says we need in an attitude that is joyful, that will gain victory in our lives. Have that positive dissatisfaction. Look out for opportunities to go and to to grow in Christ. But let's look a bit more. Let's pick it up at uh, verse 12 in Philippians chapter 3. He says, not that I have already obtained all this. See? He's saying like, this is the goal but I haven't got there yet. Or have already been made perfect but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He said the first thing we need to do, or the second thing we need to do, is to have that single-minded devotion to serving Christ. Paul says, I press on towards the goal. There is a goal. There is something I want to accomplish. I want to reach the fullness of what Christ has to offer, he's really saying. And to do that, you need to have a focus. You know, in the, uh, the First World War, the Red Baron, have you ever heard about the Red Baron? He was this German fighter pilot. He was unstoppable. And there was this big legend around the Red Baron because he shot down 81 uh, English and, and Canadian other uh, planes. He was amazing. Until the 21st of April 1918, right near the end of the war, Baron Manfred von Ron Richthofen, his name was, the Red Baron. What he did was that on that day there was a, a dogfight going on between the Sopwith camels led by the Canadian Royal Air Force, Captain Arthur Roy Brown and his friend, Lieutenant Wilfred May. Now, Wilfred May was a rookie. He'd hardly been flying at all. 
And so the captain said, don't go into battle with this guy, he's way too good, he's going to shoot you out of the sky. So don't go into battle with him. And they're all up there doing these dog fights and fighting around. But this Wilfred May couldn't resist, he was seeing it all going on there. And so he entered the fight. Richtofen saw him. And in the, in the fight that went on, Wilfred May's plane got a bit shot up and his gun jammed. And so defenceless, he started flying away. A bit disappointed. And what happened was that Richtofen spotted this plane just flying out of the, out of the zone, out of the area, back, back to its own base. And he thought, this is going to be an easy kill. And he followed him. And he swooped down on him. But as he was following him, Captain May, or Captain Brown rather, saw what was going on and he followed as well. Richtofen had this saying that he would always stay in the zone of the, of the battle. He would never drift outside of it and that's why he won so many battles. But on that day, following that other goal of killing that guy, downing that plane, he broke his own rule and he went too far. They don't know whether it was the plane coming from above or air, uh, uh, stuff coming up from the ground. But it was that day that he died. Because he changed his goal that day and he, he broke all his own rules. He was good but he became overconfident. And Paul says we need to have a goal in Christ. Forgetting what's behind, forgetting everything. This is the goal that I'm going to follow. This is what I want. This is what he wants me to do. You know in churches so often we fall into a trap of doing too many things. I said at the early service, when, you know, when I first started in ministry 15 years ago, I had hair in those days as well, you know, I started in ministry, I tried to do everything. I was 35, full of energy. I tried to please everybody, I tried to, every, anybody say, oh David, can you do this, can you do this? Yeah, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. And I saw things that needed doing, so I'll go and do that as well. And I was running around all over the place. And the Lord said, stop what you're doing. And I said, yeah, but I've got all these things I've got to do, I've got to do, you know. And, and my diary was just packed. Still is, I didn't quite understand. But anyway, it was then, right? And I was running around all over the place doing all these things. Trying to, trying to fix every single problem there was going. And getting frustrated that I couldn't. And God said, listen, I didn't call you into ministry to do all of this. I called you into ministry to do this, the things I want you to focus on. Don't focus on all this other stuff, there's other people that can focus on those parts of those. I've given them gifts and abilities to do that. But I've given you gifts and abilities to do these things. This is what I want you to do. And then you know what happens in church? You start feeling guilty that you're not doing all the other things. It's terrible. Instead of saying, you know what? God has given gifts to other people to do these other things. We're like a body working together. I play my part and you play your part and it all works together in harmony. If we all try and do everything, it won't work. It just ends up in a mess. 
And Paul says here, you know, look, I know what my focus is. I know what my goal is. And we said before, Paul's goal that God had given him was to win the Gentiles, the non-Jews, to bring them to know who Jesus is. And so it didn't matter where he was. It didn't matter what his situation was. Here he is in prison, under house arrest rather. He's not in a prison, but he's under house arrest, chained to guards. And he's going, you know what, God has given me a mandate to go and preach good news to Gentiles. I'm chained to two of them. They can't get away from me. Fantastic, praise the Lord, I'm going to tell them about Jesus. And these, these guards, and it says in the book, that many of the guards became believers. Why? Because you're stuck with Paul for two, three, four hours at a time while he's telling you all about Jesus. He wasn't talking about the World Cup. He was saying, I've got you, you can't get away, you're on orders, let me tell you about Jesus. And then they went away and some new, new people came. Oh good, two more, let me tell you about Jesus. And then some more came. And I bet then they started to go, you know what, I want to go back and hear more about this Jesus. Can I go and, can I be on Paul's detachment? I want to come today because I want to hear more. Tell me more, tell me more. And so the Praetorian guard, Caesar's own army, started to become believers in Jesus Christ. Because Paul had that goal fixed in his mind. This is what you want me to do. I'm just going to keep on doing it. Don't get sidetracked with all these other things, as good as they are, if it's not the thing that God wants you to do. You need to ask yourself, I need to constantly ask myself, where is it that God wants me to serve? And what is it He wants me to do? Where does He want you to serve? What does He want you to do? Do you remember in Luke's Gospel, with Mary and Martha, when Jesus says, I'm coming over for a cuppa. And he goes round there and Martha goes straight into the kitchen going, oh my goodness, we need some tea, I haven't got any cakes, there's some cakes, and I've got to get the best china out. And, and she starts, you know, no, that's not a bad thing to do. And, Mar- and Mary's just sitting there going, I'm going to put my feet up in the easy boy recliner and sit with Jesus and chat. And Martha's all getting stressed and then she starts getting stressed at Mary going, why aren't you helping me in the kitchen? We've got cakes, we've got everything. Like... And Jesus said, you know what, at this moment, you're not doing the best. The best things to come and be with me. You've got me. You know, you've got Jesus all to yourself. Without all the crowds and everybody else, you've got him to yourself. Just come and spend time with him. Worry about cakes and other things later. We don't need that right now. It's not important. Just spend time with Jesus. You know, and throughout the Bible, Hebrews 12 says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Keep the main thing, the main thing, what he wants you to do. Keep that in your focus. Because then, joy will start coming in. Joy disappears, you know, when you're trying to do everything. You get worn out, and you don't accomplish much. Somebody said it's like a postage stamp. You know, a postage stamp is no good when it's in your wallet. It's only good when you stick it on a, on a letter. And it's only any good if it starts when you post the letter and if it gets to where the destination is. It sticks and it stays the whole journey from beginning to end. And that's what God wants you and me to do. He says, David, right now, this is what I want you to do for me. Do it. And as I do that, and when I get to the end of that, he'll say, David... 
Now stick yourself on this task I'm going to ask you to do, this ministry I'm going to ask you to do. And I'll get stuck onto that and I'll go and follow that. And then I'll say, David, now the next one, and the next one. And he's saying that to each one of us. This is what I want you to do, go and do it. And when you've accomplished that, I'll give you something else to do. And then something else to do. And gradually, he sees the whole picture and gradually he moves his children around like that to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. God is amazing, absolutely amazing. So he says, have that single-minded devotion on serving Christ. Where does he want you to serve? What does he want you to do? Paul says, I just forget everything else. I'm just going to carry on serving him until he gives me a new job to do. That's the second thing. The third thing is in verse 14. Forgetting what is behind, he says, and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. He presses on. He says he's got that kind of determination that will keep going. Pressing on is like a hunter following a prey. You know when you're looking for something? It's like if you've lost your keys. You don't just go, oh well I can't find them. End of story. You know? You just keep on looking and looking and looking and looking till they find them. And then you stop for a bit and then you try and retrace your steps and you go like, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? And you keep on searching. And even if you can't find it straight away and you have to go do something else, what happens? It's in the back of your head and you're going. And then later on, if you're like me, you go, oh, let me look here. Oh, let me try here. And you just keep trying until you find it. It's that kind of determination that God says we need. We need that determination. I press on towards the goal. So many people fall by the wayside. You start something, you never finish it. How many of you ever started something that you've never finished? You're in church, you've got to be honest. Yeah, like me. You start something. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it. This is what I want to accomplish. And then, there it stays. That's why we all have to have one of those rooms in the house, don't we? Where all those starting projects get left along with a whole load of other stuff. And if you're really clever, you bury them underneath a whole load of other stuff. You can't even remember that you started them. You know? Eventually, they'll get finished. But You know, God says, have that kind of determination. I love the story about George Muller. George Muller was the uh, the, uh, German missionary guy who lived in Bristol and he started orphanages. He had absolutely nothing. Amazing guy. If you ever get a chance to read his, the biography of George Muller, read it. I've got a copy at home, actually. I could bring it in. It's an amazing story. He just prayed every single day. He, he started, he had nothing, but he prayed for a house and he got a house. And then he put loads of uh, orphan children into the house. And then he prayed for another house and he had hundreds of children. He had no money. He just prayed. There was one time, he's going off the point a bit, but there was one time when he sat down at breakfast with about 200 children. They had nothing. And he said grace, even though he had no food to give them. Because he believed that God would supply all their needs. And while he had grace, while he said the grace with his children, a local baker turned up with a wagon load of bread and said, Do you want it? And a local milkman turned up with a whole crate of milk and said, Would you like it for the orphanage? God's telling me to give it to you today. 
That's the power that George Muller had in prayer. That's his belief in prayer about the way God answers prayer. But he also believed how God would answer prayer like this. He had five close friends, none of whom were believers. And he sat down at the start of his Christian life and he said, I'm going to pray for these guys to become, to know Jesus Christ. After many months of praying every day for them, one of them became, came to the Lord. Then it took another ten years of daily prayer before two more came. After twenty-five years of praying, the fourth guy came to know the Lord. He died, George Muller, without the fifth guy coming to know the Lord. But he came to know the Lord at the funeral service of George Muller. Now that is a guy with determination. He wouldn't let anything stop him because he believed in what God could do. He said, these guys, I'm just going to keep on praying and praying and praying day after day, right throughout his life. That last guy, he prayed for 52 years, every day for him. And finally that guy came to know who Jesus is. They must be celebrating in heaven, I tell you. That's the kind of determination that God wants in you and in me. Paul had it in abundance. Turn in your Bibles, you got them to Acts 14. This is the kind of determination. Here he is in Lystra. Look what it says in Acts 14, verse 19. So here he is in Lystra, talking and everything else to to the people there. And it says, And then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Look at verse 20. But after the disciples had gathered around him, what did he do? He got up, went straight back into the city. That is the kind of determination. I don't know about you, I've never been stoned, have you? But you know, like, I would kind of get a hint and go, ah, perhaps, perhaps I've overstayed my welcome here a little bit. Maybe this is the Lord's way of moving me on to somewhere where they like me a little bit more. Not Paul. He goes, you know what, God sent me here, I'll move when he tells me to move, but until then, I don't care, you can stone me and leave me for dead. They dragged him outside thinking he was dead. Do you imagine what he must have looked like? And then he just gets up after they pray for him, he goes straight back and carries on. That's the kind of determination we're talking about in Paul, and that's what should be found in you and in me. We carry on reading, verse... uh, Verse 13, sorry, verse 15. Let's carry on there. All of us who are mature should take a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. Paul is saying here that we need to have the right focus, look in the right direction. He says our citizenship is in heaven. 
That we look ahead, we don't look behind. It's what we sung. You know, no turning back, no turning back. The past behind me, the way before me. We don't look back. You look back, you're defeated. I was playing tennis with Michael and with Mike a few weeks ago. Terrible. I was playing rubbish. I admit it now. Be quiet. Right, we were really struggling. I was playing with Michael. We were really struggling in this, in this tennis patch. And uh, we were kind of weren't really warmed up or anything. But anyway, we got a 40-30, I think it was, in the game. And the ball came up high over and I reached up and I smashed it with all my might. And the ball went beautifully in the corner. And I just went, yes, we've won a game. And the guy on the other side said, out. <laughs> I said, you've got to be kidding me. He said, no, it was out. And then he started asking the other guys there, was it out? I didn't see it. I didn't see it. And I'm going, that's in. I'm a pastor. I don't lie about these things. It's in. <laughs> and it wasn't even, it was clearly in, right? I'm not talking about near the line. I'm not talking about a Hawkeye decision. If there'd have been a ref up one of those little fancy, you know, chairs, he would have said, forget it, that's in, get on with it. They've won a game. You know, we were 5-0 down or 4-0 down anyway. Didn't really matter. But he goes, no, it's out. I was fuming. I'm telling you, I was really fuming. This is injustice on the tennis court, in the park, round near this church. I'm going, this is out of order. Right? Replay the point, he says. I'm going, Re it was in. You don't need to replay it. That's our game. Let's get on with it. No, replay the point. The next three points, we lost. Why? I'm going, stupid I'm not playing with him again. He needs glasses, that guy. Like, and I'm, I'm fuming. And what happens is that I was so focused on the injustice, and it was a massive injustice. I hope this, whoever, I hope the people we were playing with listened to this podcast. This was serious injustice, right? But the thing is, I was still fuming about that point and I was muttering and I was stomping around and poor Michael had no partner to play with at that time. I was like going, oh, I can't believe they said that, you know, and I'm throwing it up and it was hitting the net and it was just rubbish I was. Why? Because I was still focusing on what was behind me. You know, good tennis players, they'll put that out of their head straight away. They'll just go, fine, let's get on with it. Not this is injustice. God, you better put this right. Vindicate me now. Let me win the next few fight. <laughs> just win this match just to show them, you know? Vengeance is mine, says, I've got all the verses, I tell you. It didn't quite work on the tennis court. But the thing is, right, we need to have our forward direction because so often we're like that in our lives. The number of people that come to me that are still focusing on stuff years and years ago. All this baggage they bring with them. You know, Jesus says, just come to the foot of the cross, leave it there. You don't need to carry it. I better go and do that about this tennis match, but, you know, it's cool. But it, you know what I'm saying? People carry it with them. And they're just still talking about it. You know, when I was a child, this, this and this. Oh, it wasn't fair that this happened or that happened. Somebody overdid me in my job or this or that. And they're carrying it all with them. And then it's just tying them back. The enemy wants us to do that. You know that? 
just to keep looking at all these things around us to keep looking back if we're looking back you can't look forwards you know you look out the door there you won't be looking at the cross you have to decide which way you're going which way you're going to look you have to let these things go Paul says you know what I'm focusing on my citizenship in heaven I just love when you love on one of those big forms tax return citizenship heaven send it in see what they do with it it'd be awesome wouldn't it it's true they might phone you up and send it back but you know you need to stop focusing on the past look to the future in Ezra chapter 3 you know in Ezra they're talking about the rebuilding of the temple they rebuild the temple in Jerusalem this is after they've all been carted off into captivity and they come back a remnant a small group of them come back they start rebuilding the temple because it's wiped away they haven't got much they haven't got all the gold and everything else that they had before but they're rebuilding it so they can start worshipping the Lord again and when it's done it says all the young people are really just praising God saying thank you Lord we've rebuilt your temple we can start worshipping you as we're supposed to worship you you know what the Bible says it says all the older people start grumbling and muttering saying it's not like the old one is it it's not as fancy as as the one we had before that was full of gold that was amazing look at this it's pathetic and they start discouraging the people because they're thinking backwards instead of thinking forwards be careful in your life that you don't look back learn yes but keep pressing forwards same with Jesus isn't it when he calls Peter out of the boat while Peter's looking at Jesus he's fine when he starts looking around him starts thinking too much he starts thinking look forwards don't be like me in tennis keep going and lastly he says our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a saviour from there the Lord Jesus Christ who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body firstly he says we're going to be transformed we need that transformation power of God the same power it says that Jesus has to bring everything under his control that's pretty immense will transform our bodies so we're going to be transformed we are being transformed because the power of God is working in us and through us to transform us it happens automatically if we do what we've been talking about if we have that dissatisfaction and we keep on pressing forward if we have a devotion to Christ if we keep going with that kind of determination pointing in the direction that he's given us he will transform us I'm not the same guy I was 15 years ago when I came here I wasn't the same guy when I was a missionary in Africa when I was 20 you know God has constantly transformed me and I thank God I won't be the same guy you know hopefully next year or the year after or the year after that I want God to carry on transforming me because I'm not there yet and I'll never get there but I want to get as far as I can so God keep transforming us and he said I'll do that if you just keep following me 
You keep walking where I'm telling you to walk, doing the things I'm telling you to do, taking the opportunities I'm giving you, transformation will come automatically. You don't even need to ask, it's going to be there. Just keep it going. He will transform you. Somebody wrote this poem, they said, When I stand at the judgment seat of Christ and he showed me his plan for me, the plan of my life as I might have been, he had, had he had his way and I see how I blocked him here and I checked him there and I would not yield my will. Shall I see grief in my Saviour's eyes, grief though he loves me still? Oh, he'd have me rich and I stand there poor, stripped of all but his grace. While my memory runs like a hunted thing down the paths I can't retrace. Then my desolate heart will well nigh break with tears that I cannot shed. I'll cover my face with my empty hands and bow my uncrowned head. No, Lord of the years that are left to me, I yield them to thy hand. Take me, make me, mould me to the pattern that thou hast planned. That's what God wants to do for you and for me. He wants to transform us and mould us into the pattern that he's planned for us. And he said, it will happen if you follow him. He will continue to transform you. And lastly, chapter 4 verse 1. Therefore my brothers, you who I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. He tells us to stand firm, to be disciplined. You know, discipline is not easy. But he asks us to to stand firm in him. Somebody said it takes no effort to fail. But it takes effort to succeed. I want to show you in closing just a little clip. You know who Denzel Washington is? Yeah, oh yeah. Just listen, he's just talking, it's just a clip of him chatting with a group of acting students. Listen to what he says. True desire in the heart for anything good is God's proof to you sent beforehand to indicate that it's yours already. That itch that you have to be whatever it is you want to be, in front of the camera, on, on the stage, behind the stage, that itch, that desire for good is God's proof to you, sent already, to indicate that it's yours. You already have it. Claim it. Understand this. Understand this also. You have these dreams, and as Kenny said, dreams without goals. Remain dreams, just dreams, and ultimately fuel disappointment. Dreams without goals, yearly goals, life goals, daily goals, monthly goals, hourly goals, minute by minute goals. Dreams without goals are just dreams, and they ultimately fuel disappointment. Goals on the road to achievement cannot be achieved without discipline, and consistency. Hmm. You understand? Between goals and achievement are discipline and consistency. 
I pray that you all put your shoes way under the bed that night so that you got to get on your knees in the morning. And while you're down there, thank God for grace and mercy and understanding. We all fall short of the glory. We all got plenty. Just If you just start thinking of all the things you got to say thank you for, that's a day. That's easily a day. Right? So you have all been given these gifts. We have a little boy in our show. We're doing Raising in the Sun. And he, we have a circle. We pray every day. And his prayer, he, this boy is prayed up. He just prays that we go out and touch someone tonight. He says, God, somebody out there needs us tonight. And we all have that unique gift to go out and touch people, to affect people. Understand that gift. Protect that gift. Appreciate that gift. Utilize that gift. Don't abuse that gift. Treasure it. You have it. You already have it. And finally, I'll say this. You'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. I'll say it again. You'll never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. Now, I've been blessed to make hundreds of millions of dollars in my life. I can't take it with me. And neither can you. So it's not how much you have. It's what you do with what you have. And we all have different gifts. Some money, some love, some patience, some the ability to touch people. But we all have it. Use it. Share it. That's what counts. Not what you're driving, not what you're flying in, not what kind of house you bought your mama. But buy your mama house. <laughs> We are all in this fraternity together. I'm just one of y'all. I'm just another actor up here on stage. We all started in the same way. You see what he's saying? About discipline? You need to have that kind of discipline. If we're going to accomplish what God wants us to accomplish in us and through us, you need to have that kind of discipline. There's a guy called Larry Basham. He was a gold medalist at the Olympics in small bore rifle shooting. I know nothing about rifle shooting. But he said this, he said, our sport is controlled by non-movement. He says, we're shooting 50 meters, that's half a football field. So picture that. And he's shooting at a bullseye three quarters of the size of a five pence piece. Do you know how small that is? That's tiny. He said this, he said, if the angle of error at the point of the barrel is more than five one hundredths of a millimeter, five one hundredths of a millimeter, you'll miss the bullseye and hit a nine. Now how close is that? So he says, everything you do, you have to just make yourself stop. He says, I stop my breathing when I try and shoot. I stop my digestion so I don't eat for 12 hours before a competition. He says, I train by running to keep my pulse around 60 beats a minute so that I have a full second between heartbeats when I can shoot so I'm not moving at all. He does all of that. 
He says, then, even when you can do that, you then have to learn how to read the wind conditions and the distance and the mirage that happens over distances. And then he says, you've got another 80% of the problems which are in your mind. He does all that just to hit a perfect 10. That's discipline. What should we do in our Christian lives? To be disciplined so that we might attain what God wants for us. Paul says, you know what, if you want joyful living, first be dissatisfied in a positive way with where you are now. Say, Lord, I want more. I want more of you. I want more of that blessing. I want more of what you have for me. So that, not just for myself, but for people around me. Lord, I want all I can get of you. Secondly, have that devotion that says, Lord, you are number one and you will stay number one and I'm going to follow you. End of story. Everything else, peripheral. I'm just going to focus on you. Third, you have that determination like a postage stamp that says, I'm going to see it through. There may be challenges and difficulties along the way, but there's nothing that I can't accomplish with your help. Nothing that you are going to set or that you are allowed to be set in my way that together we can't get through. Because you are with me and you are a God that overcomes and brings victory in life. And fourthly, our direction. We keep our focus fixed on the cross of Jesus Christ. Our citizenship is in heaven, not on earth. It's in heaven. That's where we belong. That's where we're going and that's where we keep our direction. And lastly, that we allow God to continually transform us because we are disciplined individuals. And we have that, we will have a joyous life. Paul says, the scripture says from Genesis through to Revelation. Because that is the result of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. On Friday night at the all night prayers, Pastor Christie reminded me of a story. It's a story about a guy that dies and he goes to heaven. And when he gets to heaven, the angels are there and they meet with him. And they start showing him around. And he sees this huge, huge warehouse in heaven. And in this warehouse are millions upon millions of boxes. And the guy goes, well, what's all this? And he sees names on the boxes. And he says, is there a box for me? And the angel says, there's a box for everybody. And so he goes and he takes this box and the angel takes it, this huge box, takes it down. And he says, what's in this box? And the angel says, open it and you'll see. And he opens the box and inside the box is three quarters full of blessings from God. And he said, what what is all this? And the angel says, you know when you're born, when God, before you're born, when God knows that you're going to come, he takes a big box and he fills it full of all the blessings that he wants to give to you in your life. Everything's there. Everything that your pathway that is mapped out for you, all these blessings. And the guy's saying, But mine's still three quarters full. And the angel said, Yes. That's what you could have had if only you would have followed. If only you would have gone to the places I asked you to go, say the things I wanted you to say, do the things I wanted you to do. Then all of that could have been yours too and not just for you but for people around you my prayer I'm sure this is not a true story but my prayer is if that is true 
that you know when I get to heaven my box will nearly be empty isn't that true? I bet you want that too and not only for myself but for Trinity too that there is a Trinity church box and I pray that will be empty as well because all the blessings that God wants to give us and flow through us to other people around that we will be in the right place at the right time to receive them to be a channel of them so that God can do his work Paul says it's possible Paul says it's going to happen if you just follow if you put God number one in your life if you go where he wants you to go if you do what he wants you to do if you have that dissatisfaction within you that says I want more, I want more of those blessings my box is still full Lord bring more on, do what you have to do in me to enable those blessings to flow through me when we have that kind of devotion and that kind of mindset that determination and we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith allow him to transform us allow him to discipline us then those blessings will flow because that's what he's promised what about you? if you were to go to heaven right now how full do you think your box would be? or how empty? and how full or empty do you want it to be? when you meet with him face to face if you want an empty box ask him say Lord I want my box empty I want everything that you want to give me everything you want to flow through me Lord do it transform me to enable it to happen so that I may be the child you want me to be the apostle Paul as great as he was says I'm not there yet I'm still on this journey we all are but that's where he wants us to be for his glory let's pray Lord we thank you we thank you for your joy that comes into us a joy that can so fill us because we're constantly being transformed by you walking with you it's that joy that Adam and Eve is pictured in the garden just walking you in the cool of the night chatting, chilling out, having a great time it's that joy that we see right throughout the pages of scripture when people are in a right relationship with you doesn't matter about circumstance because no one can take that inner joy away because it's a joy of knowing that we are connected you are the vine, we're the branches and we can go and bear the fruit that you give us when you pour out those blessings into us and through us help us Lord, show us what it is if there's anything in our lives maybe we're looking backwards and we're not focusing on you maybe it's something else that's dragging us down whatever it is Lord, take it away from us so that we may have the fullness of the blessings that you have in the storehouses of heaven for your children and for your community we thank you and we praise you that you have spoken to each of us for we pray in the name of Christ Amen